Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. Well, how about them Badgers, Jesse? How about it? How about it? Uh, Wisconsin in a three-game uh, three gauntlet that we all thought was going to be uh, as tough of a stretch as Wisconsin could potentially go through this year. And uh, through two games of the three, they are 2-0. They take down number three Marquette on Saturday in what was a uh, pretty good environment at the Kohl Center and even got an appearance from Jesse Temple in the Kohl Center, which was uh, fantastic. And then also they go on the road Tuesday night into the Breslin Center. Michigan State started out as a top-five team. They're not a top-five team right now, but Wisconsin's won at the Breslin Center for three straight times now for the first time ever. It's the first time they've won at Michigan State three times ever since the early 60s. So what they have done these last two games, extremely, extremely impressive. They've got a huge opportunity to finish this off with three straight wins when they go to number one Arizona on Saturday. The Badgers have beaten the number one team just four times in their history. Those other times, uh, pretty famous games, especially uh, if you're a certain age, which um, I think most people listening to this are. The last time it happened was when they beat Villanova, the number one overall seed in the 2017 tournament, the Nigel Hayes, little Michael Jordan moment at the end of the game. Then they, back in 2015, obviously, beat Kentucky in the Final Four. 2011, they stormed back from 15 down to beat uh, Ohio State when they were number one. Jordan Taylor kind of went off in that game. And then you have to go all the way back to 1962, and they beat Ohio State with uh, John Havlicek and Jerry Lucas, along with a, a young man named Bob Knight uh, in that game as well. So very, very impressive what they're, what they've done these three, these three games and an opportunity here for one more. Yeah. This is kind of the team that I thought the Badgers had the potential to be before the season started. And then they opened one and two. And a lot of us were thinking, uh, is this just a 2.0 version of what we saw last year? But Something clearly changed, at least in my mind, when they went down to Fort Myers and they put on such a great defensive performance against Virginia, ended up being able to beat SMU for the championship. And now they're in the midst of a six-game winning streak. A week ago, Zach, we're having a conversation about whether it was realistic for Wisconsin to go 1-2 and two or 0-3 oh during this three-game stretch. And here they are at 2-0, and oh, playing not only the best basketball that they've played this season to date, but... They are one of the hottest teams in college basketball. You can't deny it. And now they've climbed to number 23 in the AP Top 25. So it's really, if you're a Badgers basketball fan, this is a great time to to be that. Yeah, I mean, things have certainly turned around. I uh, went on various programs after they lost to Providence and said, you know what? I've seen this team before. I've yeah. seen, the, you know what I mean? I've seen this team before. I saw what this was last year and it doesn't look like they've made any improvements whatsoever. It doesn't feel like they've made a jump whatsoever. Yeah. They've added AJ store and John Blackwell, but it just, they got pushed around in that game and it was, I think disheartening and probably confidence, uh, a hit to people that thought that this team would be different because you bring back so many guys, you add some nice pieces and then you get the Providence game happens. It's like, I've seen this before. I'm not going to get pulled back into this. I'm not, that's not going to happen this time around. I'm, I'm going to wait and see, before saying that they are going to be a good team and that they're going to be a different team than they were last year. And they have done exactly what um, I think a lot of people were hoping to see from them this year. I, that's, that's for, that's for sure. It's, 
it's not just um, the scoring, it's the resilience that they didn't show last year, right? I mean, there were some opportunities to for big wins, and then you go on these long droughts. And what they did last night, and it was pointed out on Twitter a couple times, Michigan State went on a number of runs and got it down to three and were hitting all these ridiculous shots, and Wisconsin was still able to hold on to the lead. Yes, it got down to three, but it never got closer to three. And then they answered back to push it to double digits again. And AJ store was a big part of that. Go back to Saturday against Marquette. The exact same thing happened. They led by as many as 16. It got to one, the Marquette fans, which I've never seen more Marquette fans in the Cole center than I did that night or that, that day uh, were getting loud. And it, it felt like things were going the wrong way. Very similar to the way things were going last year. And Wisconsin had an answer. And they've had answers these first couple of uh, these past two games, whereas I don't think they have those answers last year. And you can tell me what you think the reason for it is. I think that I'm sure you will agree with this or don't agree with this. I think one, it's the experience of having gone through it last year and learning from it. And also the addition of AJ store and John Blackwell and, and some of the things that they're able to do when the offense is not necessarily hitting shots from the outside, the ability to find a way inside and, and get, either get to the line or, or finish. So those are those to me are the two biggest reasons why they are not the team they were against Providence anymore. The, the resiliency and the fact that they've added some wing players that they just didn't have last year. It's hard to argue with the points that you're making, and it's funny because you and I sat next to each other in the Kohl Center for that Marquette game. Wisconsin had a 46-33 halftime lead, and what were you saying? Marquette's too good not to make a run. Yeah, which is what they did, which is obviously <laughs> what they did against Purdue too, right? I mean, they yes. they made a they got done by fifteen, I think, that one, and they made it all. They got all almost all the way back. So yeah, I was expecting a run, and and they gave it exactly what it was. And because of what had happened last year, I was kind of like, let's see if Wisconsin can actually muster this one and and uh, you know deal with what's happening to them and overcome it, and they did. Yeah, but four times, four times Marquette cut the deficit to one point in the second half. The last time that happened, Sean Jones made a layup and Marquette was within 54-53. And to me, this tells you a lot about what this Badgers team is made of. They never let Mark Marquette never had a lead <laughs> in the entire game. And every time it looked like the Golden Eagles were about to overcome this massive deficit, Wisconsin fought back. And and that last instance the Badgers then reel off six straight points. Stephen Crowell, he puts back a short jumper that A.J. Store airballs. Chucky Hepburn made, and he has made a lot of ridiculously <laughs> challenging shots, but he makes this turnaround jumper on a high-arching shot that swishes through the net, and then Crowell uses good footwork after picking up his dribble to score inside. All of a sudden, there's nine minutes left in the game. Wisconsin has a 60-53 lead, and Marquette never gets back to within one possession. I think you're right about that experience. It's something that Greg Gard talked about afterward. He said, sometimes you've got to go through those rough times to grow. You get bopped around a little bit and you figure things out. And he acknowledged it's not something that happens overnight, but he feels very strongly about the fact that what this team went through last year has led to the growth that is taking place right now. And he said, we're not, we've got to keep pushing. We're not where we need to be. But I, he said, I think this team has a chance to be really good consistently at a high level We've got to keep raising the bar. To me, what stood out most from what Greg said, and I'm talking specifically after the Marquette game, but he talked about getting this group to believe, which I found really interesting, but actually makes a lot of sense. Because, 
yes, you've got your top five scores coming back from last season, but just because you're older doesn't mean you will be better. You obviously have to show market improvement in the off season, but you have to overcome some of these mental hurdles because that team last year, there's really no other way to put it. And yes, there are a variety of reasons why injuries included. They collapsed after January. They're sitting there at 11 and two, three and oh, in the big 10, they're in the top 15 in the AP poll. They never win consecutive games the rest of the season and end up missing the NCAA tournament. That's inexplicable. If, you, if it was the first week in January and you had a top 15 team, you would never say they're not, not going to make the NCAA tournament, but that's ultimately what happened. So for them to show the fight and the resolve, as you put it, to come back uh, from, and I realize they never got down, but they're in a very precarious position against Marquette, and they showed the fight there. They showed the fight against Michigan State when the Spartans a couple of times cut it to a one-possession game. That's very important. And I mentioned before that idea of belief. Greg said that he had to talk to this group about believing how good they can be because he said, I think sometimes I intentionally feed that since they hear so much negative from the outside that he wants to counter the negative with the positive. And he said, I think now they believe. They believe in what the coaches were talking about in the summer of what the vision is on what this team could be. I think that goes a long way. And you can't necessarily quantify it, Zach, but we're seeing it manifest itself on the court. Who do you think he's talking about with all the negative? stuff that's being said on the outside. I think that's got to be a social media thing in this <laughs> in this modern era, right? Because I don't think these guys are walking around campus and students or professors are coming up to them and going, hey, man, why are you guys one and two? Ah, oh, this is the same team as last year. I just don't think that's how it works. But all these guys, just like you and me, are on our phone too, too often more than we should be. And it's very easy to slide up in the DMs or to reply or to just be talking about the team in general and see that. I don't necessarily think these guys are going on message boards, but to me, it feels more of a social media type thing, which is a very 2023 kind of issue, right? Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I was going to say they obviously listen to the swing and, and all the stuff that we do, of course. That's, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Right? No. Um, you know, th- we talk about going and getting these wins and it's, it's one thing to win these games. It's another one. They haven't trailed in either one of these games. They have led or been tied in every single uh, these last what 80 minutes of basketball, you have to go all the way back to late in the first half against Robert Morris. The last time they were down, it was uh, I think 58 seconds left. Uh, Stephen Carl made a jumper to tie it 35, 35, and they haven't trailed since that moment uh, that again, I, we know what happened in these games. We know that Marquette made a comeback. We know the Michigan state camp made a comeback, but if you're not trailing at all, that's pretty impressive. That's a, that is going in, in against top competition. Again, Michigan State may or may not end up being that way, but we know the challenge of winning at Michigan State for Wisconsin, uh, and really for a lot of teams. It's one of the tougher environments, even if Michigan State isn't necessarily playing the way that many thought they would. But Marquette was playing as well as anybody in the country, coming off what they did at Maui. So there are wins, and then there are wins like the last two. <laughs> I think they hold a little bit more sway, uh, certainly than um, you know some of the other ones where you have to you're, you're fighting back and forth. They I don't want to say they dominated the games, but I thought for outside of maybe a five minute stretch to start the second half against Marquette and a little bit of a stretch there, the first what eight nine minutes of Michigan State they kind of did. And yes, it's. It's not just that the Badgers won, it's the way they won. But I, I just can't overstate how impressive these two wins have been. And I'll throw in the Virginia one too, just because Virginia sure. shot 
32.6% from the field. And then that ended up being a complete blowout. Wisconsin won 65-41, and that represented the fewest points Wisconsin had allowed against a Power 5 conference opponent in nine years and the fewest points it had ever allowed against an AP Top 25 team. So clearly something is clicking. Um, but this these two games... Uh, really shows what this team is is capable of and i, I know i don't want to get you know my my ski what do they say your skis out in front of your your feet no, get, get over you don't want to get over your skis right get over you your skis yeah. right it's yeah. it's still december and there is yeah. a long way to go and we and we saw what happened last year right all you have to do is go back and look at where the team was in january but the way they have won gives you a lot of reason for optimism marquette they came into that game third in the country, and that was the highest ranking for the program since 1977-78. And it was completely justified because they beat Kansas. They came three; they were three points short of of Purdue, and Wisconsin was able to dominate for long stretches. The rebounding thing, and I know Marquette has struggled with that in other games, but that really stood out to to out rebound Marquette thirty eight to twenty three. And then you have Shaka Smart talking about what an absolute load Stephen Crowell and Tyler Wall were on the glass. I think it's noteworthy, too, that those are two guys that Greg Gard was publicly speaking out about how they can do more. And we saw them do that. So the rebounding advantage and the free throw advantage, too, the way they were able to get to the line. And maybe some of that just has to do with Marquette's aggressive nature defensively. But it also speaks to a team that's willing to try and get to the rack, be aggressive, be physical. Wisconsin got to the line 28 times and made 24 of those free throws. So those are all the things that you need to do. And again, it's not simply that Wisconsin won. It's the way the Badgers have won these two games with the personnel that they have that that leads me to believe that they've got a chance to do some some really special things here over the next three plus months. Yeah, and Robbie Hummel was mentioning that in the Michigan State game too, the, the offensive rebounding, which has not necessarily been something that Wisconsin has ever really done at a high level. Um for the most part, for the most part, it was get back, etc. defense and and make it more difficult. And I'm not saying that and I don't think they've really necessarily sacrificed that. But they've have gotten whether it's whether it's Crowell, whether it's Wall, whether it's um, you know, even Chucky Hepburn had a couple offensive rebounds against Michigan State. John Blackwell had three. Like there are a number of guys that are are willing to fight for for balls on that end and keep possessions alive. And they had 19 second chance points against Michigan State. You don't and they out and you talk about out rebounding Marquette and like how that's something that that normally happens. Michigan State historically, historically, maybe not this year, has not been a team that normally gets out rebounded. It's kind of a, a toughness thing with with uh, Tom Izzo and they out rebounded them 36 to 22. So that's back-to-back games where you have a double-digit margin of uh, of rebounding and especially the offensive rebounds. 11 rebounds, uh, offensive rebounds against Michigan State that I mentioned turned all those uh, into 19 second-chance points. And um, a, a lot obviously goes into that. So that, that stood out. And then the three-point shooting these last two games didn't shoot it very well against Marquette, but the guy in the first half that shot it very, very well was Max Klesbitt hitting five threes in the first half. It was the only threes that they hit the entire game, but then they were come back on the other side of this against Michigan State and shoot 43%, and you get A.J. Storr and and uh, Stephen Crowell combined to go eight for 10. I think that's going to get it done on most nights. <laughs> I don't know if you agree or not, but like Stephen Crowell was three of five going to the game, and I know we talked about this last week, like, 
Why is he not looking at the rim more? There was no problem with that on on Tuesday night. He looked at the rim, and when he had he had opportunities, he put it up, and they went down. He is a I don't. He's a good three point shooter. Obviously, he's not a. I mean, what is he now? So he's seven for seven for twelve. Uh, no, seven for nine this year. He's probably not that type of shooter. He's not a he's not an eighty percent three point shooter, but. He's much. He's a better guy, and why he hasn't necessarily been looking for his shot. I think. I think uh, teams will now start to have to come out, and it opens up even more driving lanes for a guy like John Blackwell, a guy like AJ Store, and AJ Store's ability to hit from outside is just off the charts huge because teams are going to have to guard that, and we know he can get around. Yeah, a couple things off that. One thing that's also worth mentioning is Wisconsin made all fourteen of its free throws against Michigan State. So you go yeah. back to the two games against Marquette and Michigan State, and that's 38 for 42. That's a 90% clip from the free throw line. Not saying saying that's what this Badgers team is going to be every time out there, but, man, you are giving yourself every opportunity to win a game when you do that. The other thing that I think is important to note, and you talked about Max Klesman just absolutely going off for 21 first-half points against Marquette, that, to me, is another reason why this team has the potential to be so dangerous because – the, the previous game, I believe, was Western Illinois. Um, Max took three shots from the field. I think he scored three points. And then you see what he did against Michigan State. He takes four shots from the field and ends up with two points. But this is the type of team that they legitimately have, I would say, based on what we've seen right now, six guys that can get you double figures in a given game. And, and those six to me are the five starters and John Blackwell and Connor Asijan is a whole different conversation. He's got that potential. We saw it, but right now is playing very few minutes. Now, he did make his only field goal attempt in the Michigan State game, a three-pointer, but he also only played four minutes. But those six guys, they could all be the leading scorer on a given night. So while Max will get you two points one night, three another, he's capable of getting you 21. I'm not going to say he's going to do that ever again in one half, but that is so difficult as a team to guard and something that, Shaka Smart acknowledged as well. So I think that there are a number of reasons why this team is clicking. Yeah. So you talk about the free throws. I think it was Temple and Heilper that we were talking about it. What would be more likely them shooting 30, I think it was 36% from three or 75% from the free throw line. They're now up to 78% from the free throw line this season, which ranks 16th in the country and first in the big 10. Again, they are seven and two. There's nine games. We're about a third in the season. There's a ton more uh, to happen here. Um, but that is that's uh, that's a pretty good change from what it had been last year. And even even Tyler Wall hitting his free throws of late has been something to be excited about, to be at least acknowledging. Um, but uh, Matt, going back to Max Klesman, the, the, the Marquette game, and he had a very good Marquette game last year. It, and he's one of the few Wisconsin kids on this team, right? That that plays a lot of minutes. Do you think it meant more to him? The Marquette game? Yeah, I would think so. What was funny is after he left the interview room, he yelled, Badger State. Yeah. <laughs> not wrong because they've no. won three in a row against Marquette. Um, I do think there's a little something extra about being an in-state kid and playing in a game like this where when you grow up, and even though he didn't, end up at either of those schools initially, ended up at Wofford. You understand 
what the state of Wisconsin has to offer as a basketball state, which is something that Greg talked about after the game as well. So I do think so. And and you look at the rest of, honestly, the, the rest of the guys who play, the only other guy from the state is Carter Gilmore. So I do think that it matters a little bit more. I guess I wasn't totally fair with the free throw thing. Um, they, they weren't obviously great last year, but 2021 or 2020, 2021, they were 76%. The year before that, 76%. Um, the best season was 81% back in 2010-11. So this right now would be the second best. And again, I know nine games in. Do you think they finish above 70? So 76.8 is number two. Do you think they finish above that for the season? Uh, I'm going to go no, but I think they finish above 75, which was the initial uh, <laughs> breaking point that yeah. you looked out. It's always so hard to make these kinds of predictions because one thing about basketball is that it can be tremendously streaky. And I do think there's something to be said for a really good performance or a really good individual performance that can carry you forward for a little bit, but doesn't necessarily mean that's what you're going to do in February. Um, but I think this team clearly has the talent and the, the mental fortitude to be able to consistently make some free throws. So I don't think it's unreasonable at this point to think they can be a 75% free throw shooting team. So I'd like to get your take on this. I saw this uh, a couple of different places, people saying, saying this, they've won these first two games. A lot of people thought, you know, getting one game out of these three would be good. A lot of people thought an O and three was coming. Now <laughs> that they're here, now that they're here at two and O and they're going to number one, Arizona on Saturday, I've seen people say they're playing with house money. Do you agree with that? Well, I guess to me, it's more of a question of how does this team feel? And I don't think they look at it that way. I don't think they look at it like, oh, this three game stretch, we're already two and oh, so we've got nothing to lose. Like I, I just, in my mind, maybe <laughs> because nobody thought they'd be two and oh at this point. I don't think the team looks at it that way, if that makes sense. I think it does. I think it does. Well, do teams ever look at it like that? I, I I would be surprised if they do. Well, I mean, if you're a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament and you beat yes. one seed and you make this, you're like, oh, okay, man. We didn't think we'd be here. But generally, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So put out the, the call for Twitter questions slash threads questions. Um, so I, I need to tell you this because you're not on threads, but I have oh. gotten I have gotten a number of people asking for you to be over there. Uh, every time I every time I post on threads, usually here these last few weeks, it's been like, thank you for posting over here. Can you get your friend Jesse Temple to post over here as well? This is the first I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I've told you about it. So, yeah, there uh, there have been a number of people asking. So well, I wanted I wanted to get that I wanted to get that out there for you just to okay. let you know um, that that is what's being said on threads. And again, I, I understand that threads has a, look Twitter and X and everything that goes along with it. It's still the place where a majority of people's eyes see questions and it's the, still the place that people are at to talk about sports and live sports. And so I I'm not going to stop posting there until um, either I have to pay for it or it gets shut down. And so that's, that's where we're at, but I'm going to, but I know there are people that are only on threads that are sick of what Twitter is and they're listening or they're, they're posting on threads. And so I'm going to, I'm going to start posting there as well and they can get their questions. And we had a number of questions from there, but I just wanted to make you aware that there were people asking about you. 
Well, thank you. I very much appreciate it. There's way too many social media platforms to me to keep track of. <laughs> I might stay off threads for a hot minute, but uh, we'll see how things progress. So you mentioned Connor Asijan before, right? And his lack of, I would say, playing time. Um, Barley Bunny, she asks on threads, Blackwell's played, Blackwell played 20 minutes. Asijan played four. Connor hasn't had many minutes in general so far this season. He claims he's 100% after his injury. Obviously, Blackwell is performing well, but Asijan averaged over 11 points per game last season. What do you think guards deciding factors or factor in how he is divvying up the minutes between the two? Well, and, any the and any concern about Blackwell hitting a wall later in the season if he continues to get this amount of minutes? I think that always has to be a concern with the true freshman. We saw it happen to Connor last year. I know these guys play not only long high school seasons, but AAU season. It feels like basketball, and it is, is a true year-round sport at the high school level. But it's a totally different deal when you get into college at this level, especially in the Big Ten, where in some instances you're playing teams twice a year and they scout you and nobody knows your tendencies better. But it's just too early for me to know that about John. There's so much good that he's done so far. I really don't anticipate his minutes declining. As for his productivity, I suppose it remains to be seen. The other th question to me is, I think it's just an obvious answer, is what, what does Greg know he's going to get out of his player on both ends of the floor? And right now, it's more consistency from a John Blackwell type. I do think this is a really difficult situation for Connor and I, I go back to a conversation that I had with Greg before the season for a story that I wrote. I think actually it was during, it was early in the season a, ahead of when they were going to play Tennessee. And I asked him a question about, you know, does it take some level of selflessness for Connor to be in a, the role that he was last season where he emerges as a starter and now he's coming off the bench? And, and Greg's response to me was pretty telling because he said it wasn't, <laughs> it's not about selflessness. It's about when AJ Store got here, it was pretty clear how good he was and, and the minutes that he was going to demand. He's just better in terms of what he gives Wisconsin right now. And, and this is true in the preseason as well, relative to Connor. So once AJ got here, Connor's minutes were going to change. I think what people didn't anticipate, and maybe the staff did, but was how effective John Blackwell would be coming in right away where now he's playing 18 minutes a game. Well, when you've got wing players like that, it doesn't leave as many opportunities for Connor, who's only averaging 7.4 minutes per game. And I don't know at this point, I, I'm not going to blame it on the injury. Um, don't I mean that was a little while ago. I think it's just more the productivity that they're getting out of some other wing players. And Connor's just got to make the best of the minutes that he, he has I never would have guessed coming into the season that there'd be games where he's only playing three or four minutes. I guess that's a bad thing for Connor, but it's a good thing for the program because of what it means about the other guys on your roster. I mean, what it means is you're getting offensive production from other guys. Yes, absolutely. Last, last year, he was playing in large part because he was one of the guys that was scoring and they haven't necessarily needed that. I'm not saying that they're not going to need it this year, but they've gotten scoring from other places and he is not necessarily he, he's still obviously a little bit of a question mark defensively, though he I, the effort is there. I think it's just I, I don't want to say limitations, but he. There are better options at this point than Connor Asijan, I think is is what is clear through through nine games. That's not to say and let's be fair, if he was hitting his shots on a regular basis, he would be playing more. 
right? Like if if he's not going to hit his shots, then it's very tough to put him in and and let him play, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's his strongest skill set, and n- no matter <laughs> what else you're doing, if let's just say he's shooting fifty five percent on threes, you can't keep a guy on the bench who's going to give you that consistently. But in the minutes that he's gotten, it hasn't been a, been as consistent and. Right now, he's only four for 18, and and maybe making one three against Michigan State is kind of a, a spark that you need, but 22.2% is not going to cut it when that's your strong set, and you throw on top of that. Again, I know this is a limited sample size, but Blackwell's making 43.8%. He's hit 7 of 16, and, and A.J. Storr, that's not necessarily his strong set, though he did have a really good shooting performance against Michigan State, but he gives you so much else. And he's, he's shooting 92.3% from the free throw line. He gets you rebounds. He gets to the rack. He can play well defensively, so... It's hard when you are a three-point shooter and you're not making your three-point shots to state your case as to why you should be on the floor more consistently when those other guys are giving you so much. Yeah, and, and AJ is his defense has improved for sure since uh, the opening part of this season. I think Greg Gard even spoke to that about after the Marquette game, and I, it's it's hard not to to see it on the on the floor. Um, another one here uh, from Captain Burrish. He says, "Can you think of a freshman in Badger history with the composure and efficiency of John Blackwell?" That one's tough. Josh Gosser. I mean, he had a triple double yeah, uh, as that, a freshman. That comes to mind. I mean, yeah. I I think that was his first thing. start. Was it? Was it? No. Either way, go ahead. Well, the composure thing—it's he comes to mind. I know. Obviously, there haven't been a ton of true freshmen. Um, obviously, Chucky. Yeah, I mean, I think don't I think wanna, we've don't don't want to forget about him this time. Sometimes we've overlooked it because he never felt like a freshman to me. So. I would certainly put Chucky in there, but we know that the list is very short of true freshmen who come in and, and do what he's doing. Obviously, Sam Decker came in as a six man type of guy and John's just been so effective in in so many different areas to get 9.1 points off the bench from him. When, like you're saying last year, how many times did we have a conversation after games where we're trying to go down the stat line of the guys who came off the bench and it's like, oh, they got four points total off the bench and they went two for nine from the field. What are you getting off the bench? So it's such a lift to have a guy like that, but it's a short list, right? Of of guys that have that kind of composure and that level of efficiency. Yep. And another one here, which, which max is more important, max who scores 21 or max who can uh, slow Tyson Walker from taking over the game, which, um, you know, it looked like he was about to take over the game yesterday. And uh, then he, kind of he he got slowed up a little bit missed uh, i think it was four straight shots when they were when they were within five points and um max obviously played a role there what do you think which one's more <laughs> important I, I i think it's i think it's last i think it's the michigan state one because they have yeah. other guys they have other guys who can score but 21 yeah, would- i mean if, if you're gonna score 21 points and a half and make five three-pointers that one's pretty good too well my my first answer is hey you'd like both <laughs> but All right. if you had if you had to pick between the two certainly what he's able to do defensively. And it's for that very reason that you uh, got other guys can score. Now, having said that Wisconsin clearly doesn't win that game against Marquette. If Klesman doesn't give him five threes and 21 points in the first half, because it allowed Wisconsin to kind of carry the day. And I know Max didn't score in the second half, but just a ridiculous lift to get 21 points in one half. But I do think defensively, and, and this has come up, I think a fair number of times here, particularly this season is it's very easy to make the comparisons to the Badgers that we've seen in the last decade or so who do a lot of the things that Max does. It's something that Greg has mentioned on multiple occasions. And he talked about it again after the Marquette game is the Josh Gossers of the world, the the, the Zach Showalters, the Brad Davison's 
he stacks up pretty favorably in terms of the tenaciousness that he plays with and the ability to play uh, effectively defensively. I think that's one thing that's a really strong suit about Max's game. There are so many players out there, and, and I'm not saying this is on specifically Wisconsin's team, but they let their offensive game or lack of offensive game dictate how they're playing on the other end. That's not Max. We just talked about it. He can have three points in one game, two points in another. He's going to work his butt off on the defensive end. And that's what we saw against Michigan State. This kind of goes to the question about Connor Asijin, but I think it throws some other guys in here as well. Uh, is team chemistry going to be an issue with guys that could be playing more? Asijin, Isaac Lindsay, Marcus Silver, Kamari McGee, and other years, but to this point aren't needed. Asijin is the biggest mystery. His defense just isn't there, but it's as though his shot just vanished too. I think of all the players, the one I'm most curious about is Connor because of what his role is now relative to where everybody thought it was going to be before. The The other guys, I mean, you know, Carter Gilmore is getting about 12 minutes per game. I kind of feel like that's probably what he thought would be happening as long as he's able to contribute in, in a lot of these games. And everybody else is a role player, but they were expected to be a role player. Nolan Winter's getting nine minutes a game while well, he's a true freshman and still learning. So to me, I'm most curious about Connor and so far it seems as though he's handled it pretty well. And I, I did, I talked to him again that week of that Tennessee game. And what he said is what you'd expect a, a team first player to say is that he he wants to do whatever he can to contribute in the, the opportunities that he has. But at the same time, I don't think he came into the season thinking he's going to play less than eight minutes a game on average. So yeah, team chemistry is always important. Um, I think they, this is a really good group that has that and the people that have come in, have added to that, but it's always something to monitor. Tim says guard calling out Crowell and Wall galvanizes team and changed the trajectory of this season. It seems really tough time for the fire guard crowd. Team, <laughs> the team feels like a sweet 16 elite eight caliber team. Is that an overreaction or no? If I'm not mistaken, it seems as though you got several questions after the Michigan State game about is this team a Final Four team or how far can they go? Is that accurate? Yes, that was the that was the one I decided to use because I got to play a little overreaction sure, or no. Sure. Uh, no, I they feel like a second weekend type of team to me, absolutely. And the if they play like this, to me, they're capable of beating anybody because w what does it take in the in the tournament? Obviously, a few different things, but what it doesn't take are the kinds of scoring droughts. And I mean, how often do we see this with, say, a one seed, two seed, three seed, whatever in the tournament where they go seven minutes without a bucket and all of a sudden your season is done? Well, this team has the ability to not have that be the case. And they play so well defensively, or at least they have starting with that Fort Meyer stretch that that they've got a chance. So I have every all the confidence in the world right now that they can be the kind of team that is a second weekend team. Yeah, I I would agree. It also comes down to matchups, too. hundred percent. Right? We say that every year. And so just because yeah. we're saying it now doesn't mean that's going to be the case. But just in terms of what the ceiling is, that feels right. But they're going to have to continue to put themselves in a good position where they get a good seed. And to your point, have favorable matchups. Another aspect of this, Nate asks, Big Ten favorites with uh, in parentheses, yes, even over Purdue. <laughs> is that a question? That's a question. He's asking them big 10 favorites question mark. Yes. Even over Purdue. Um, I, I think that's tough. I think that's really tough. Yeah. I'm not ready to go there, but no, they're, they're putting themselves in a good position. Somebody's going to have to guard. Um, Zach Eady. 
Zach Eady, and nobody can do it. But <laughs> but as we've as we've seen with Purdue, well, Eady can get twenty eight and, and twenty, but other people are going to have to do some things. But Wisconsin, well, they're not. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, go for it. Well, I'm just saying Wisconsin's putting itself in a good position at this point. I'm not ready to proclaim that they're the Big Ten favorite. They are not. Look, Purdue is not invincible. We've seen that already, right? Northwest, like losing Northwestern, who I think is probably going to be probably in the conversation of right around where Wisconsin maybe is in the Big Ten. They are, I mean, that's, they're not invincible. They're not going, they're obviously not going um, undefeated in the league. <laughs> so it's not as if this is team is totally uh, some of the team that Wisconsin can't beat. We know that they, that, that can happen. It's just over the course of a season and what we saw to start last year and what we know, can Wisconsin keep going And this kind of rolls into this other question? Like what, what if Wisconsin's, what is Wisconsin's um, essentially their um, biggest weakness as we go through rolling into the rest of the season, despite them, the way that they're rolling right now? What's the would, biggest weakness? I would, I would continue to say they're outside shooting at this point. I, They've shot over 40% three games, and that was including against Michigan State. But it, to me, that's that's where it would be right now. Now, that could obviously change because I think that they do have some good shooters, and I don't think they're going to shoot 30% the entire year. But it also is, for me, just a little bit of a weakness at this point so far what we've seen of this team. That's where I was going to go to, Zach, because... Even in that Marquette game, nobody else made a three <laughs> other than Max Klesman. And so it, you can be hot in certain stages, but I, I, it's hard not to project what could happen in the NCAA tournament. That's another thing that causes you to have an easy exit is you just keep firing up threes and none of them are going in. But they've got I think they've got all the ingredients to be really successful. And I also think they're the type of team, maybe you disagree with this, but they can win if they're not hitting threes. I think the problem would be is if you become too reliant on it, where like you're taking 20 plus threes and you're not hitting them. But I think they've got the ability to win by just going to the rim and scoring because that's what AJ can give you. John can give you that too, obviously Steven and Tyler. So it's probably the biggest concern, but there's at least reason for optimism. The lack of willingness to go inside, especially that Marquette game where they, it felt a lot of like a lot of peri- like when Marquette was making its comeback, just not even pretending to touch the post at times. Yeah. Um, that like standing around is what. It yeah, like. yeah. So again, it, it is what it is. Wisconsin will be at number one Arizona on Saturday. I believe it's their first matchup since uh, the Elite Eight in 2015. I, I could be mistaken on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, do they win it, Jesse? I'm going to go no, but if they do, holy hell, what a three game run. <laughs> It'll be a hell of a run, too. I'm going to say no as well. I, I think the game is, is is close, though. I do think the game is close, and we'll see how it plays out. And we'll be back next week to talk about that as well as uh, as they get ready to close up the, uh, the rest of the non-conference season as we get towards the end of the year. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.